Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Revealed, a study of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our hope is that our eyes will be open to see that all scripture points to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, we are in a series called Revealed. We are looking at Jesus in the Old Testament, how the Old Testament looks forward and points towards Jesus. And the hope that we have uh, during this series is that our eyes may be opened to see that all scripture points to Jesus, to see that it's one story, to see that one plan is in action, that God is redeeming the world. And so uh, we want to look at these different Old Testament texts, these Old Testament stories to see how it points towards Jesus. And today, we're going to look at the Old Testament law. So for us to begin, can you pray with me as we start? Lord, thank you so much that we get to be together this morning. Father, that we can gather to be with you and each other. And Lord, that we get to learn from you. Thank you for giving us your word that you teach us through it. Lord, I pray that today uh, we would understand uh, the law just a little bit better. Show us, Lord, what it is that we need to see that you want us to walk away with. And I pray, Father, that uh, we would experience your love and grace even through the law. So thank you, Father. Thanks for all that you do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we turn our attention to the Old Testament law, the law being the Ten Commandments, the the rules and rituals related to sacrifice and temple, to the civic regulations, the way Israel was supposed to live out their lives. That's all the law. As we turn our attention to that, I want to ask a question. What does the law have to do with us today? If you're following along in the message notes, that's that's the question we've got right right out of the gates. What does the law have to do with us today? I think there are probably two primary approaches that most of us might resonate with. I mean, I see it in my life. The the first one is, uh, it doesn't apply to me. Uh, We figure out ways that uh, we can explain it away. It doesn't doesn't matter. We can ignore it, set it aside, uh, or seek ways to justify ourselves. Like, the law doesn't matter. That might be option number one. Uh, Number two, we got to follow the law. And we got to follow it diligently, strictly. When we read the law, these are all in force for us. We read it and we got to follow it. So we, we see these, these commands and we say, I, I got to keep this. I have to observe it. I have to do what it says. Uh, those might be two primary approaches. I don't know about you. Um, I do see both in my own life, but I probably lean towards the second. Like when I, when I think about the law and when I read the Old Testament and see these commands, I think, I gotta, I gotta keep this. I better do it diligently. I better, or else. I mean, have you had those kinds of thoughts? Where you read these commands and say, this, this is for me, and if I don't, man, God, God's gonna be mad at me. He's gonna be disappointed in me. I'm gonna let him down. I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. I'm not being a good Christian. When I fail, I feel guilty. I condemn myself and say, you shouldn't do that. You gotta do better. I I see that in in myself. Do you resonate with that? And maybe you're the first one, you're like, this doesn't matter. Like, why why are we worried about this? Um, 
I think God actually has something even better for us. And so as we look at the law today, my hope is that Jesus is going to give us a better third option, and we're going to be able to see that. Um, So we're going to talk about the law, but there's a lot of things that we could talk about. It's a pretty big conversation. We're not going to cover everything. So if you're coming in with a few certain questions about this, hopefully we're going to address some of those, but we might not. Uh, We're going to take more of a summary sort of view on the purpose of the law, like what is it is trying to accomplish. And we've actually got a video for you. Um, If you've been around the last few months, you might have heard us talk about Right Now Media. It's a a digital library of different videos and Bible studies and resources that we have made available to you as the church family for free. You have access to thousands of resources online through Right Now Media. Um, And if you look in the bulletin on the inside, we talk about what it is and how you can have access to it. Well, this video that we're going to show you is on Right Now Media. And uh, I hope it captures for you what we're talking about today. It's a good summary of where we're going. So if you would take a look at this video. So that video captures a summary of where we're going today. Um, You can actually, again, find that on Right Now Media. It's uh, from a group called The Bible Project. Its primary leader is Tim Mackey. And if you were just to search law in the Bible, you'll be able to find that video. And there's a whole slew of videos that this team has put together that talk about different themes and books of the Bible and just give a really good summary version of what's happening. So I I recommend those videos to you. They're really helpful. But for today, we're going to unpack that a little bit further. What what does the law mean for us and, and how are we to interact with it? So if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, we've got these in seat racks in front of you. We'd love for you to take this, open it up. Um, And if you don't own one, take that with you as a gift. It's ours to you. Um, But you can find Exodus 19 on page 51 in that Bible. Exodus 19. So we're going to read verses 1 to 6. So if you would, follow along. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out for Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel." You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So this story, this moment comes after Israel has been slaves. They've been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They they were oppressed, they were bullied, and God shows up in a miraculous sort of way and saves them. He rescues them and delivers them out of Egypt. And he takes them through the, the Red Sea, that miraculous event, and all of that culminates into coming to this mountain where they meet with him. And what God wants to do is he wants to create a covenant, a relationship with them. And that's what he's he's trying to do. So he says, I brought you out of Egypt, and I'm going to enter a covenant with you for a purpose. And that covenant is the law. 
It's what we know of the Ten Commandments and the religious rituals, all of these things. That's the covenant that God makes with Israel at that mountain. Now, uh, to understand a little bit about what's going on here, I've got this definition for you if you're following along in the notes. The law is the terms of the covenant relationship between God and his people. The terms of the covenant relationship between God and his people. See, that's what God is doing. He's entering into a particular type of relationship. Now, there's a couple of purposes that we want to highlight right right out of here, because this will help us understand what the law means. And so we're going to look at the different purposes of the law. And to do that, I need to tell you one little tidbit of history. There was something in the ancient Near East, um, it was called a suzerain vassal treaty. You don't have to remember that name, but it was a type of agreement that a greater king would enter into with a lesser king. So if there was a nation and they were powerful and big and a smaller nation or tribe or group of people needed help in some way, they would often come to these greater kings and say, hey, we need help. Here's what we can do for you. Can you help us? And they would enter into an arrangement, an agreement in which it laid out, here's the term, here are the stipulations. And a lot of times it would come with a few certain features. One is identity. The, the, the thing that would happen right at the beginning of this relationship is saying, this is who I am and this is who you are. It's communicating identity. And actually, Exodus 20, it has the exact same form of this treaty, this suzerain vassal treaty. God basically gets out of the gate and says, I am the Lord your God, identity, who brought you out of Egypt, identity. So right there, we're getting the first purpose of the law. So if you're following along in the notes, purpose number one, identity, who we are and how we live with God. Identity, who we are and how we live with God. And we see that even before chapter 20 comes with the the commandments and all that stuff, God is saying, you're going to be my treasured possession. I'm going to create a people who are set apart I want you to stand out. I want you to be this kind of people. This is who you are. That's what God is saying. Verse 5, you are my treasured possession. So that's the first purpose. The second purpose is actually related. And so if you're following along in the notes, purpose number two is representation. Representation. Show others who God is. Showing others who God is. And this comes in verse 6. We see that God wants to create a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Now this language was one of representation. It had the, the sense of communicating who God is. Like you are to represent me to all the other nations around you. So the idea is was anytime the other nations, these other people groups would look at Israel, they would get a picture of who God is. They would know his character. They would know what he's like by just looking at them, by seeing the way they lived. That's the purpose of the law. It's meant to communicate, this is who you are. This is the people that you are. And this is who I am. And you're to show other people that. So those are the first two purposes of the law. This is why God is entering into this relationship with them. He had a desire for them to look like a certain type of person. Okay, 
That's the first two purposes. But there's a problem. There's a problem with this. And actually, we can see this play out in the story. So we get God creating the covenant, and then something happens right after it. So in Exodus chapter 32, we get what Israel is doing right after the covenant has just been formed. And so you can hear these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have become quick to turn away from, the com- from what I commanded them and have made for themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So Moses is on the mountain. He's getting the commandments, and he comes down to find this. Does anybody know what the second commandment is? No idols. Don't make any idols. That was the second stipulation, the second thing that God asked of them. And guess what? They break it. Just like that. I mean, they haven't even been in this relationship for all that long, and suddenly they're breaking the covenant already. This story is played out over and over and over again. The video alluded to that. This is what the history of Israel looked like. Them continually breaking the covenant. They didn't measure up. They couldn't step up to the plate. Why? They had the wrong kind of hearts. You see, God was desiring for them to be a certain type of people, a certain type of people who reflected him. But as we see, the law becomes a certain type of thing that reveals something to us. We need new hearts. And so that's the third purpose of the law. If you're following along in the notes, it reveals that we need new hearts. It reveals we need new hearts. This was the unintended purpose in some ways. Like here's the ideal of what the law is supposed to do, but it shows us that our hearts, they're not the right kind. They're broken, messed up, corrupt hearts. We go our own way, we do things the way that we wanna do them, and we don't keep the covenant. And so the law now becomes a standard. It says here's the way things are supposed to be, and it shows us we don't measure up. We fall short. It's because of our hearts. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts bear deceit. It it bears in it hatefulness. It doesn't have to do with life. It's selfish. These are the hearts that we have. And the law demonstrates that for us. And now it becomes a standard to show us how we fall short. So the the law was meant to be something that communicated identity, it said who we are, establishes the way we're to interact with God, and how we show others who God is like. But we find that we can't do that. And we fall short. And that's the third purpose. We need new hearts. And even when we come to the law, we see how these broken, messed up hearts are even enacted. Because when we begin to see, wow, we fall short, We respond a certain way, and it's responding out of these hearts. So if you go back to our two approaches to the law, the first one is, oh, the law doesn't matter. 
We try to dismiss it. We try to disregard it. We try to throw it aside because we realize, man, we don't measure up. Here's the standard, and I don't quite get there. What am I going to do about that? And we panic, and we try to justify ourselves. We try to say, like, how do I make this right? We're trying to preserve our significance, our value. And so we try to explain it away. Try to figure out ways that it doesn't apply. Or we try harder. We really push ourselves. We try to to follow the law diligently and, and make sure we got it all together. But really deep down, we know it's just outward. We're just kind of going through the motion. We're making sure that people see we're doing it right. We're just observing the law on the surface. But deep down, we know we can't do it on our own, no matter how hard we try. And so oftentimes, when we realize we fail, we feel guilty. We feel ashamed. We condemn ourselves. Saying, I'm not good enough. I got to try harder. And we do the same to other people. Even now, in the way that we interact with the law, we're seeing that we have broken hearts and we need new ones. God is not willing to let it stay there. He doesn't want us to remain in this condition where we have broken hearts. He wants to do something about it. And so we get in Jeremiah 31 a prophecy, a foreshadowing, God saying, here's what I want to do. And it has to do with these new hearts. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke that covenant, even though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Right here, we get God saying, I'm going to give them new hearts. And it's out of these new hearts that they'll be able to keep my covenant, to obey, to follow me, to be my people, to fulfill the law. He wants to do that. He wants to give us new hearts. And that culminates in Jesus. This new heart thing that Jeremiah is looking forward to culminates and comes to completion in Jesus. So I'm actually going to have you turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you're using one of these black Bibles, it's on page 677. Matthew chapter 5. It's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount So Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. So if you would follow along. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, not until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great 
in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what we get here is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most extensive teachings, and he talks primarily about what kingdom living looks like, what kingdom people, how they are. And it has a lot to do with the law. And so in this little passage here, in this little text, we get Jesus showing us how he has come to interact with the law. And he's come not to abolish it, to make it invalid or to throw it out, but to fulfill it, to bring it to completion. And so what does that look like? What is that all about? Well, I think it's Jesus stepping into the role of Israel. He comes onto the scene to be the true Israel, the one who captures the identity and lives rightly with God and is able to represent him to other people, to show others what God is like. All of this is because he has the right kind of heart. He has submitted his heart to the Lord completely. He is not bound to sinfulness, to, to these desires to be uh, in control, to be leading, to, to have things go our way, but rather he submits to God. And so he's free from the messiness, the brokenness. And he takes all of that and he switches places with us. He steps into our place and says, I'm going to give you all the good stuff that I've earned. You see, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses is talking about the covenant and reminding Israel what it's all about. And he talks about the blessings and the curses. The blessings if you keep it, and the curses if you don't. Jesus comes to take the curses for us. He takes all of those curses on himself when he goes to the cross and he dies. So now the law is being fulfilled. And so he's able to give us the blessings, the good things that are promised. Because he is the culmination of the law. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, reads like this. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is salvation. You see, the law set a standard that we fall short of. We're supposed to be a certain type of people, our identity. We're to represent God to other people, but we don't do it because we have broken, messed up hearts. And Jesus comes to fulfill all that. He takes all the curses on himself and he gives us blessings. That's what Jesus has come to do. So if you're following along in the notes, Jesus fulfills the law by doing what we couldn't. Jesus fulfills the law by doing what we couldn't. And he does this primarily by doing something in us. He gives us new hearts. So if you're following along in the notes, Jesus gives us new hearts by the Spirit. Jesus gives us new hearts by the Spirit. He's fulfilling exactly what uh, Jeremiah was prophesying. What Jeremiah was looking forward to was a new people, a new heart in these people. And Jesus is the one that brings that to completion. <laughs> he gives us new hearts. 
So no longer do we have to operate out of this broken sinfulness, out of this desire to assert our significance, to um, claim our value, because he gives it to us. And he redeems us. He fixes our broken, messed up, corrupt hearts. He gives us new hearts. And that's what Jesus has come to do. So when we get to Matthew 5, hear the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about these new-hearted people. But he's doing that before he's done all of his work, before he's gone to the cross, before this has become a reality. And so I think what we see in Matthew 5 are two approaches again to the law. And Jesus is addressing both of them. So we see in verse 19, Jesus says, the smallest little details, all of that is not going to pass away. They're not going to fall away, and we're not to teach others to do the same. We're we're to keep it. And so it it addresses our first approach. We're not to cast aside or explain away or even justify ourselves with regard to the law. But then he goes on in verse 20 to say this. Your righteousness needs to be greater than the Pharisees if you want to enter the kingdom. Now, the Pharisees, they were the people, the group of of people that um, kept the law as good as anybody else did. They were strict observers. They did everything to the letter. They went to the furthest extent that they could to make sure that they kept the law. They were a model example of that. And Jesus comes in and says, you got to be better than that. Now, for me, when I'm, I'm person two, I'm approach two, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, okay. Is Jesus calling for strict observance, even more strict than the Pharisees? Actually, no. He's not. What Jesus does immediately after this is he gives six examples uh, of what he's talking about. And the first one uh, is do not murder. He's drawing directly from the Old Testament law. And he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. He's quoting the Old Testament, but he's primarily addressing teaching at the time. So he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, don't even have hate in your heart. Don't even get angry. Don't have resentment against your brother or sister. Because if you do, you're murdering them. Jesus is almost taking the surface level strict observance to say, that's not enough. Jesus is more concerned with what's inside. He's more concerned with our motive, with our attitude. He's not about rules and regulations, but he's actually about deeper, more open-ended principles that guide our conduct. He's more concerned about our hearts. And he's saying all of this to say, Your hearts aren't aren't the right ones. You won't measure up. You need something. You need me. You need me. And so it's a call that directly addresses the third purpose of the law. You need new hearts, and I'm the one that can give it to you. And so now, it's not we can throw away the law, nor is it strict observance, but Jesus is doing something new. And it's this, if you're following along in the notes. Love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. In Matthew 22, 
It's different than the Sermon on the Mount later on, but Jesus is, is essentially teaching the same sort of message, but he captures it in really just one or two sentences. And so Matthew 22 on the screen here. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is essentially saying all of the law is summed up with love. The one who loves is the one who fulfills the law. And when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this example of murder to say don't murder, strict observance, but actually don't hate in your heart. How do we do that? How do we know if we're keeping that commandment? He's like, you don't. It's not about strict observance. It's about new hearts. And Jesus is the one that gives it to us. He's the one that allows us to have these new types of hearts. And it comes when we begin following and trusting in him. So maybe for you, this is the first time you've ever really heard this. You're not even sure what you think about this Jesus thing. Like, who is this guy? What is he all about? I'm just not, I'm not there yet. That's great. We're glad you're here. For you, this might be the first call that you hear for Jesus to say, I can help you live this sort of life if you trust me. It's a call to to faith, to call to step out and join with him. Because if, if we don't, we're still living in the state of being under the law. It is still in force for us, if that's true. If we're not following Jesus, the standard is still the law. But we don't measure up. And as hard as we might try to get there and strive and work for it, we won't get there. And we can't explain it away because it is still the standard. Instead, Jesus says, trust me. I'll give you a new heart, a new identity, and you'll represent God the way you're meant to. You'll have a new heart. You'll be a new person, and you will grow in love. So then, for those of us that have begun following Jesus, who've trusted him, who want to pursue life with him, we live in a new state of being. We're no longer under the Old Testament law, but rather, we are under the covenant or the law of grace, of love. Now we operate not out of some kind of compulsion where we have to define ourselves and assert our significance by either throwing the law aside or trying to keep it really hard. Instead, we operate out of freedom, out of grace, towards love. And love fulfills the law. So what does all this look like? Let's get a little bit practical here. When we get to the Old Testament, how are we supposed to treat it? It's not approach one, where we disregard it. It's not approach two, where we try to keep it, be really diligent. But it's actually approach three, where we learn to love from it. So if you're following along in the notes, here's a principle that might be helpful for us. The law paints a picture of what love looks like. The law paints a picture of what love looks like. There are a variety of laws. The Ten Commandments we're probably most familiar with, and we can think about, okay, do not murder. Well, now we know a little bit, like, okay, it's talking about hate and and how different expressions of non-love can be damaging to life. That's, That's an example. What do we do with a law 
like mildew. There is a law in Leviticus that talks about mildew. What do we do with that? We look for the ways that it points to the character of God and shows us love. So for example, mildew, mildew is something that can be damaging to people, their health, gets them sick, right? A loving thing to do would be to take care of it, to clean it out. That protects people and ourselves. That's a loving thing to do. That's a picture of the character of God. He, he values life. He loves people, and he wants to protect them. There's an example. What about the laws about sacrifice, putting these animals on an altar and, and all this kind of stuff? What, what do we learn from that? Again, this is a picture of the character of God, of who he is, and of love. And what we see here is God saying, here is a way that we can make things right between you and me. It's a gift. It's a grace. It shows us how God wants to provide and stay connected to us. There's a picture of love. And ultimately, we see the culmination when Jesus goes to the cross. That's what we can, when we read the law, when we read the Old Testament, we get a picture of who God is and how we can love. But it is not anymore a burden. It is not the standard for which we achieve or strive for, but rather it is something we operate out of grace and freedom. So maybe a few questions that'll help us understand where are we when we come to the law? These are maybe a litmus test for you. So if you're following along in the notes, question number one. Oh, um, one quick note here. There might be some of you um, on your message notes that have an error. There was a printing error, so the line will actually read a little bit differently. So I'm going to give you the line. You might need to scratch out some things. But, so here it is. When I look at the law, do I explain it away or justify myself? When I look at the law, do I explain it away or justify myself? So your line might be really weird and different. Uh, that was just a printing error on our part, so sorry about that. But that's the line that I'm looking for. When I look at the law, do I explain it away or justify myself? That helps us get to approach one. Those times where we feel like, man, I gotta, I gotta shed myself of this standard, like it doesn't apply to me because I need, need to be on top. This is a challenge to us to say, you know what, am I trying to set aside anything? Is there not, when I read the law, is there nothing that I can learn from it? If we have that sort of heart posture, that sort of attitude towards it, we might be living or operating out of our old hearts. We might be operating out of our old hearts. The next question, if you're following along in the notes. When I fail to keep the law, do I condemn myself? When I fail to keep the law, do I condemn myself? So we're reading the law, and we're like, I got to keep all these things, and then, oh, hmm, I fall short on this one. What's my response? For me, when I get to these moments where I realize I fall short, a lot of times I'm condemning myself. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I feel like, man, God is disappointed in me. I'm letting him down. I'm not being a good Christian. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And I get hard on myself. That's what condemnation looks like. And we're operating out of our old hearts when we do that. We are no longer bound 
to the law. But we operate in grace and in freedom. We operate in love. And when we operate in love, we fulfill the law. The standard is complete. But it's not out of some, like, I need to obey or else. That's our old heart. So if you have these thoughts, have these feelings, if you're beating yourself up, you're not operating in God's grace. Rather, we're to feel a sense of opportunity. When we fail, when we see, like, "Mm, I don't measure up, the call for us is to see, Lord, how can I grow? How can I step forward in love in this? Help me do that, Lord. That is trust. That is faith. That is grace. So in either case, we're not to disregard it, say there's nothing I can learn, but rather it paints a picture for us that helps us get better, but nor do we say, I gotta try harder. No, we operate out of grace, out of freedom, out of love. You see, the Christian life is a life lived by grace through faith to love. That's what we're doing. That's what following Jesus is all about. And so a question that hopefully gets at that for us is this, if you're following along in the notes. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? This is a question that Andy Stanley, a pastor down in Atlanta, asked. He did it in a sermon series, but then I heard it at a conference, and it was so helpful to me. Asking this question, what does love lead me to do? That helps me put I get in the right posture, not out of striving, not out of explaining away, trying to assert my significance, but rather it helps me get at what does God desire for me? What does love require of me? That helps us operate out of freedom. So I don't know where you are this morning. Perhaps you come um, from one of those two positions, maybe both at the same time in different moments. Maybe you're just confused and trying to figure all this out. I'm hoping that right now you're sensing or hearing the word of grace. We are no longer bound to the law because Jesus has fulfilled it and he helps us fulfill it with love. So we don't operate trying to remove the standard, trying to explain it away, disregard it, but rather we operate in love, in grace. We don't shoot for strict observance, but we experience freedom and opportunities to grow and learn. We're going to give you a few minutes right now. Where are you? What heart are you operating out of? Ask yourself these questions. See what God reveals to you and spend some time praying about that. Reflect on those moments. Write them down even. But ask yourself those three questions. Where, where is your heart? Where are you operating out of? Worship team will... Uh, play a song here shortly, but use that time to be reflective and prayerful.